Um, Revelation chapter number 6. Let's just have a word of prayer as we uh, get into this this evening. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for, um, Lord, just the time to come together to be able to sing praises unto your name. And Lord, we do pray that you would meet with us this evening. You would help us to just see these things that are unfolding through Scripture. Lord, we are going to look at your prophecies of old. And Lord, help us to understand that you will do what you said you will do. And you always do, Lord. You can't not do that. And we thank you for that, Lord. So when we look at these prophecies, when we look at the things that will come, we understand, Lord, that they may not have come yet, but they will. But we also understand, as we've been studying through the book of Revelation, that, Lord, the church is not subject to the wrath of God. The body of Christ uh, took the wrath of God once and will not take it again. So we thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you that we're spared from the wrath to come. But, Lord, as we see these things, help us to see the, the urgency of the hour, but also, Lord, to see that you are indeed a promise-keeping God. You're a covenant-keeping God. And when we say that, we mean that you are a God of your word. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. All right, so in our, in our studies through the book of Revelation, um, we're, we're coming to the point now where we're getting to um, Revelation uh, chapter number 6. We looked at Revelation chapter 5 last Sunday evening, and we finished there in verse 13. And every creature that is in heaven and earth, under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I say, blessing and honor and glory, power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and to the Lamb forever and ever. And, you know, we, we seen there that we, that we had the Lamb that was slain, but also the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and, you know, we have that picture of power. And really for uh, the last couple of chapters in Revelation, we've been in the heavens. And it's been a heavenly scene. And the sealed scroll, if you remember, was a scroll that no man was worthy to open. But the Lord Jesus stood up, the last Adam, and he was worthy. And if you remember, John, who's having the revelation, is on his hands and his knees, prostrate, weeping, because he knows what's at stake. It's the redemption of the earth. But the Lord Jesus steps up. And when we get to Revelation chapter number 6, verse 1, it says, I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. Verse 2, And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So, those of you that have been in the book of Revelation before will know that Re- Revelation chapter number 6 is where the, the seven scenes are opened. And it's where we're introduced to what we know as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And really it is the beginning of the tribulation period on earth. So we've moved from a very heavenly scene. Now we're going to move to a scene that focuses upon earth. We call this the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble. And, you know, you often hear me say those terms, and this is the beginning of this, really. We're going to see these seal uh, judgments open, and they're judgments that, that take place upon the earth. And, you know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, we've heard about them. We'll deal with them next week. We'll deal with them next week. 
and you know you may have heard it taught before i'm going to teach something a little bit different just my personal position on this but we'll see that next week when we get there because what we need to do now and some of you looked at the screen and gone that says daniel chapter number nine pastor that doesn't say revelation chapter six has he got the wrong slide up there no i don't make mistakes (laughs) of course i do but what we must do before we get into this tribulation period on earth we must go to daniel as christ must need to go to samaria Milton Baptist Church, before we get into this period called the tribulation period, we must needs go to Daniel. It's so important that we understand what Daniel is talking about, that we'll see that this is it being unfolded and, and, and coming before us when we get to Revelation chapter number 6. And why do I say all this? Why is it important? Because we have to understand who is in play here, what program is being involved, what people group is being involved here and we have to tap back into the old testament and to do that we go back to daniel and you know we we talked about daniel this morning we're going to talk about him again tonight and we're going to look particularly at the 77s of daniel this is the prophecy that really unlocks all new testament prophecy regarding to israel it's supremely important it's the master key so if you don't get this you're going to struggle getting the rest so that's why we must need go to it and speak about it. And for those of you that may have heard it before, you're like, oh no, this is all numbers and all that sort of stuff. There's going to be a little bit of that. But we have to see what God's program was for Israel. And then we can tie it into what's happening in Revelation 6 when we come back next week and have a look. So we have to put a little pin in our study in Revelation because we must need to go to the book of Daniel this evening. So let's do that. I want you to turn then to Daniel chapter number 9. And we're going to have a quick look and begin in verse number 1 of chapter 1 of Daniel chapter number 9. Daniel, Hosea, Joel. So Daniel 9 and, and verse number 1. So again, you know, setting a little bit of the context here um, of what's going on in and around Uh, the uh, things that are written here. So, Daniel 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Azarias, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Uh, Can you, Gordon, can you turn the, on the the big box at the bottom, the amp, just turn the sound down a little bit on that so it doesn't echo. That's all right, thank you. Um, which was made king over the realms of the Chaldeans. Uh, of the, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70, 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. So here Daniel, now remember he's in captivity, isn't he? And of course we've been tying back and forth because we've been in the book of Ezra. So we know well about the captivity periods and the different regimes that have come along through that. And, and, and Daniel is one that's been taken off to Babylon. And the Babylonians have been overthrown by the Medes and the Persians. Darius has come along and, uh, 
Here we find Daniel in this context. He's praying to God and, he, and he's really saying to God, um, I know what was written, what was said of the prophet Jeremiah. And what he's doing is he's calling God to do what he said. So let's turn to Jeremiah, chapter number 25, and we'll see what uh, Daniel is referring to. So Daniel has this. He's had this word. He knows this word. And he's referring to the things that were said by Jeremiah. Jeremiah 25, verse number 9. says, Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord. The Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylon, my servant, will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment uh, and a hissing and a perpetual desolations. So here Jeremiah is warning the people, this is what God's going to do because the people have committed spiritual adultery. They've gone whoring after idols. They haven't done what they said they would do. And God is dealing with them because that is his right. They were his covenant people. They were in that covenant promise. That covenant was a conditional one. And they were not living up to the conditions. And God was right to judge those people. And this is what he said would do. Verse 10. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, and the sound of millstones and the light of the candle. Verse 11. And this whole land shall be desolation and astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. 70 years. Verse 12. And it shall come to pass that when 70 years are accomplished, that I will punish the king of Babylon... And that nation, saith the Lord, for the iniquities in the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it perpetual desolations. So Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, he has seen this overthrowing of who? The Babylonians. He is going to the word of God, and he knows that God has said that this captivity would be for 70 years. 70 years. And so that's what Daniel is saying in verse uh, 2 of Daniel 9. In the first year of his reign, so first year of his reign, when, when Darius comes in, the Medes and the Persians come in, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years. What books? Jeremiah. He knew from the prophecy that it would be 70 years. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Isn't it wonderful tonight that we've read what Daniel read all those years ago. Not some mythical made-up character. We have read what Daniel read, and Daniel is simply doing what we do when we come to the New Testament and we come to prophecies that are given for us, for the church, or uh, commands or encouragements. We looked at that this morning, the encouragement of the Lord. And, And we just call the Lord to do that which he said he would do. No different to Daniel. On his hands and knees, praying to God and saying, God, I know what you've said. Will you do what you've said? He's just calling God to be true to who he is. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want to be irreverent when I say this, but you know, you know the, the, the phrase when you hold somebody's feet to the fire? We want to do that with the Lord in a reverent way, in a reverent way. But don't be ashamed to call upon his name and say, Lord, you said this. Will you do it? 
Lord, you promised this. Well, you do. If you're in the pits of despair, and we've looked at all this morning about the encouragement the Lord will give us, the verses where he said he will enable us to get through whatever we're getting through. Don't be afraid to call on the name of the Lord and say, Lord, you've said this. You're God. Do this. Not irreverently. But in reverence for his name. Because when you call upon the Lord to do that what he said and know that he will do it, you're showing reverence to that holy name, to that authoritative name, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Daniel's calling upon him. And when you can read on in Daniel's prayer and confession, we don't have time to look at it this evening, but he's just calling upon the name of the Lord. He's recognizing that the nation have sinned. He's recognizing that the nation have disobeyed God. They've been rebellious. But still, uh, uh, Daniel is calling on the Lord to do that which he said. It's almost like, I, I know we've been a wicked and rebellious people, Lord, but you're God. I know we've been unfaithful, but you're faithful. Will you do that, what you've said? And this goes on, and it culminates there in verse number 19 of Daniel 9, where Daniel says, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. He's calling upon the Lord to do that, what he said he would do. Hearken and do. And then notice this little phrase, defer not. Defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. So what's happening is Daniel's bringing this all before the Lord. He's calling on the sovereign God to move in the life of that nation. Even though they have been unfaithful, the 70 years were up. The punishment had been done. And God had said he would bring them back into the land. And and Daniel's saying, Lord, do that. You said it, will you do that? And, and even when, when Daniel has, has written this, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not. He still would have had, I believe, the words of Jeremiah in his mind. Turn back to Jeremiah chapter 29. Look at verse 10. Jeremiah 29 verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. What is this place? Jerusalem. It's Israel. Verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I uh, think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected and then you shall call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you and you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now, Daniel would have had these words in his mind. The 70 years are up. God has said that 70 years will be accomplished. He's said that after the 70 years, verse 10 of Jeremiah 29, that they would be returned to the land. Daniel knows that the time is up, the Babylonians have gone, the 70 years have taken place, and he's calling upon the name of the Lord. And notice what Jeremiah said, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and none of evil, to give you an expected end. And the Lord, uh, Daniel's calling for the promises that were given to Israel. Now at this point I have to take a little detour, because if you're 
dispensationalist of any, any form, shadow or anything, and you know anything about it, you've been in a church that's taught it, then you will find that a pastor that is tuned in to this type of mindset where he knows that the church and Israel are separate entities, he will lose his mind at this little thing that some of you may have on your fridges, you may have on your desks, I know Claire, where is she? She's gone, that's all right. I'm sure she had a little thing like this in her desk. And by application, absolutely, the Lord does have a plan for you. We talked about that this morning. But this is not for you. It's for Israel. Who are we reading about here? Israel, where are they? They're in the captivity. What's it about? It's about the end of the 70 years and how the Lord would bring them back into the nation. So when you get into Jeremiah 29, it's good good reading. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and none of evil. And as believers in the church age, we say the Lord doesn't want anything bad to happen to us. Come on, Lord, do what you said you would do. But we can't do that because that's not for us. And if we're calling on the Lord to fulfill that for us, we're misguided in what we're saying, and the Lord says, no, 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 that's not for you. That's not for you. You say, well, pastor, does the Lord want bad things for me? No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But this is a very earthly thing. What are they talking about here? They're displaced out of their land, their land of promise. It's, it's a very earthly thing. And that's what uh, Jeremiah is saying, that the Lord will bring them back. He'll bring them back into the land. He wants to prosper them because they've been in a conditional relationship with the Lord as his covenant people. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. And we'll see this. And I don't want to get down a rabbit trail on this, but it's important. It's important because you'll see these verses pulled out misapplications, and they shall not borrow. Thou shall make thee a head. The Lord shall make thee a head and not a tail. And thou shall be above only, and thou shall not be beneath. That if thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command this day to observe and to do them. Now, did you see any heavenly promises in there? What type of promises? Earthly. Right? Earthly. It's land. That's prosperity of an earthly aspect. This is the people that God said, if you do what I said, uh, I've asked you to do, I will bless you in this way. And when you look at the nation of Israel, when they did that, God was true to his word. When they didn't do that, the cursings come in, and we can see that a little bit later on in the chapter. We don't have time to look at that. The results of disobedience. So, you know, you, you compare that. This is the blessing. Israel, be obedient, you will receive earthly blessings. Israel, be disobedient, and you will receive curses, earthly. The land will produce the fruit. There'll be famine, dearth, etc., etc., etc. Now, take that and apply that to the life of the Apostle Paul. Did Paul suffer for the gospel? Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. Was he prospered in an earthly way? No, no. He says himself, you know, I've learned to be content with with what I have because there's times I've had lots and there's times I've had nothing. Not. You can go into Corinthians chapter 11 and you'll see when he he goes down the list uh, that I've been shipwrecked, I've been beaten, etc., 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 etc. But what are we to do with Jeremiah 29 verse 11? If that's for the church, 
What are we to do with the, uh, the, the blessings that God says? If you're obedient to me, I'm going to bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. It doesn't apply to the church because it's for Israel. It's for Israel. And that's so important in understanding that. Because when you come into the church age, which we're part of, and you're a believer, and you try to do something for the Lord, or go on in the Lord, here's what you should expect at some point down that path. Opposition. Hardship. Difficulty. Not blessings. In terms of material things. It may be the hardest thing that you've attempted. When you attempt something for God. Because the world will be against you in it. So don't look at these. When people put these fridge magnets up. And say well what's going on Lord. I'm really trying here. But it's not easy. Toss the fridge magnet away. Get a New Testament promise. Where it says there. 2 Timothy 3.12. If you've got one of these in your fridge. I want a new one tonight. 2 Timothy 3.12. Yea and all that live godly in Christ Jesus. Shall suffer persecution. There's a promise. There's a promise for the church. So if things are tough. Rejoice. Rejoice. God is with you. If you're trying to do something for God and it's difficult and it's hard, rejoice. Because the right thing, God's thing in the church age is always the difficult thing. And the world will stand against you. People will come against you. Friends and family will turn against you. But stand in the word of God. Now we can take this and apply it and say absolutely there's an application that God's with us. He is. But don't get mixed up. What's for Israel and what's for the church. The amount of this I see on the internet is unbelievable. Well they'll pull these promises out and they'll try and apply it to the church. And then when it's not happening for the church. What's going on? Is God wrong in what he's saying? No, no, no. We're just wrong in our interpretation of what he's saying. We have to put things in the right place. So, no fridge magnets. No, I'm joking. (laughs) Just understand. It's fine to say it, but understand who it's to. Who it's to and what the primary application is. So, let's get back into Daniel. That was a little rabbit trail, but it had to be done. (laughs) Daniel chapter number 9. Because Daniel is... uh, As we said, he is calling upon the Lord for the promises that are for Israel. He's correct in what he's saying. He hasn't took a New Testament promise and tried to apply it to Israel. He has taken a promise that is for Israel and he's calling the Lord out on it. He's saying, Lord, 70 years, you said, 70 years until it would be accomplished. Then something happens after we've heard this prayer of Daniel in verse 20 of chapter 9. And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, excuse me, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth, and I am to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. So the angel Gabriel is sent to help Daniel understand a vision that he has had earlier on in the book of Daniel, in Daniel uh, chapter number 8. And it's approximately about 13 years, they reckon, 
um, since Daniel's had that vision. So he's been perplexed for 13 years about that vision. He's going back to the word of God, the things that he knows. He knows that God has said 70 years. He's not perplexed about that. That's clear. And he's calling upon the Lord for that. But this other vision that he's had in Daniel chapter 8, you can read about it in your own time, the vision of the empires that would follow uh, after the Babylonian empire and really talks about the time of the Gentiles. He's perplexed. He doesn't really understand that at all. And Gabriel sent to him to help him um, to uh, understand this. Um, and we'll look at this in the, our studies through Revelation a bit later on. We'll be back in Daniel looking at the world empires that follow and the visions that, that Daniel would have. So Daniel's confused. He's been praying to the God for, for the, the uh, 70 years is up. In verse 19, we, we said that he said, defer not, Lord. He says, don't, don't do what you said. Don't defer it. But he, he's had new revelation. He's had new revelation. That's what the vision is. It's new revelation. Nobody else has had that vision. Daniel's had that vision. It's new revelation to him. He doesn't understand it. So Gabriel comes along, starts to tell him, and, and, and really unfolds this uh, truth before him. So what is that truth? What is that vision? How does Gabriel unpack it for him? This is what we get to in what we call the 77s or Daniel's 70 weeks. So this is from verse 24 to verse 27 of Daniel chapter number 9. And it is the most important uh, uh, prophecy for understanding the book of Revelation that you will find in Scripture. It's the most important Old Testament prophecy for understanding the book of Revelation. It's so, so important. It's the key that unlocks everything else. And that's what we're going to focus on in our remaining time. And we're going to be quick. We're not going to take too long on it but because we're just touching on this. Um, so let's uh, read it quickly. Verse 24 of Daniel 9. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, upon thy holy city, to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks. The streets shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate even until the consummation, that, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So this is the 77s. This is the prophecy that was given in the vision. This is what Gabriel comes to try and explain and, and, and expound for Daniel. And we're going we're gonna to have a look quickly at it. And the first thing we want to just pull out is the people of the prophecy. So verse 24 there it says this. This isn't too hard. It says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. So this is Gabriel speaking to Daniel. Who is his people and who is his city? Right. The Jews in Jerusalem, Israel, whatever. So that's pretty clear. Yeah. Everybody happy with that? We don't need to do anything else with that because that's what it is. That's the people of the prophecy. Not the church. Nothing to do with the church. 
Israel. What about the princes of the prophecy? Uh, look at verse 25. Where there's two princes that are mentioned here. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the prince. So that's the first prince, Messiah the prince. Who do we think that is? Jesus, we are, we are on fire tonight, aren't we? We are on fire. Uh, shall be seven weeks, three scores, shall be two weeks. Wait till we get to the mathematics. You may not be on fire then. <laughs> three score and two weeks, the streets shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous time. And after three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So this is the prince that shall Come, and we don't have a huge amount of time to, to detail this, but most people will settle that this is the Antichrist. And for us, in the position we take, in the position I set out to start, that the, the events in the book of Revelation from chapter 4 on are future, then that's who this is. The rulers will try and say that all of this has been fulfilled. They take the preacher's position, and they'll say it's been fulfilled. And they look at figures in history, and I think they point to Antiochus Epiphanes for this, and say that he is the prince that shall come. But again, this is the prophecy about the end of the age, the consummation, the things that will come. Uh, and it's, I will absolutely believe this is future. And when this is being uh, uh, done, certainly in verse 27, this is the, the end, this is the tribulation period, the period that we're going into in the book of Revelation in chapter number 6. Next then, the purpose of the prophecy. And uh, it's told to us in verse 24, uh, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people, upon thy holy city. Number one, to finish the transgression. Israel's sin will be brought to an end. Remember the context of this? That, that, that uh, Daniel is praying and he's saying to God, 70 uh, years of captivity are up. Is that the end of the transgression? And now he gets this. And this prophecy, these 70 weeks are determined upon thy people, thy holy city, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins again. Our sins shall be removed. We're looking at that. We're going to get to that in Romans chapter 11. All Israel shall be saved. Uh, also it says there in verse 24, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Through, you can see the redemptive nature of this. Um, to bring in everlasting righteousness. That's an age of righteousness. And of course we know that that's what's coming in the kingdom. We, we know that from our, our studies. What else? It says to seal up the vision and the prophecy. So again, this is you know, pointing to the fact that God is, is sovereign. He's going to do these things. He's going to, uh, uh, what he's uh, shown you in a vision, what he's given to you by words of prophecy, he's going to do. He's going to do it. And then it says to anoint the most holy. Again, this could be a couple of things. It could be the coronation of the Lord Jesus Christ on the throne of David, that earthly throne. It could be uh, the temple, because the millennial temple um, is dedicated and there's, the sacrificial system is up and running again. Uh, it could be either of those things. But those are the purposes of the prophecy. Easy peasy so far, give or take. Now the parts of the prophecy. Now the parts of the prophecy. So verse 25. So in, in Judaism, in the mind, they have weeks, like we have weeks, seven days, but also they can refer to weeks as weeks of years. So they do that when they have the, 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 a week of years is seven years, six years, and then on the seventh year, the land rests. That was their pattern. So in their, in their minds, they can have weeks of days or weeks of years. 
A context within here brings us to these weeks being weeks of years. So every week is seven years. So 70 weeks are 70 times seven. How many is that? 490. Well done, well done. 490, 490. So the total is 490, but these, uh, this 490 years are, are segregated into parts, and that's what we're going to have a look at. So there's three divisions in the time allotted. So verse 25, take a deep breath. Here we go. It'll be over soon. Uh, verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, Excuse me, unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks. So that's our first division. Seven weeks. And three score and two weeks. Second division. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. Then, verse 27, and he shall confirm the covenant for many with one week. That's our third division in that whole uh, scenario. So those three divisions make up the 79 weeks. We have seven weeks, three score and two, which is 62. Seven and 62 is 69, which leaves one week, which is the third division, which completes the 70 weeks. All right, so all with me? Yep, all right. So when we look at this prophecy, this is, this is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Now, there's some debate over uh, where, where this prophecy starts. But I believe, uh, like with a, a lot of other of the commentators, that when we get to verse 25, Know therefore and understand from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks. So what Daniel is told, that when this commandment to go and restore and rebuild Jerusalem is given, that's when this clock starts. That makes sense? Okay. So this clock started, I believe, and others believe, not, and it's good that we were doing Ezra in the morning, so we're familiar with this, because the first decree is given by Cyrus to Zerubbabel to, to go, and it's a decree to rebuild the temple. When we get on to Artaxerxes that we've been dealing with this morning and his decree, his decree is to go to uh, 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 refurbish, if you like, to build up, but also to build the city and the walls. And I think it's this commandment to go back that the clock starts. And, and many others will be in there too. And you can read about this in Jeremiah chapter 2 is the cross-reference. So if you start the clock then, this, this is where we... Uh, get to. So that's about 444 BC is when that decree was given for um, Ezra to go back under Artaxerxes. So if you, if you uh, look at it then from, from this period, if we're looking at the 69 weeks, which is how many years? <laughs> I knew I'd get you. No, 69 weeks? No. 69. Remember, each week has seven years. So, 483. You should have just took your 490 and took one off it and you'd been right. So, your 69 weeks is 483 years. Yeah? You with me? Agreed? Absolutely. Okay. So, 69 years, 
483 years. 483 years in the Jewish calendar, the Jewish years are 360 days, not 365 days. So 360 days. So if you take 483 and come to you, Alan, with this, 483, you've got the other ones, right? You've got a calculator in that Bible. 483, 483 years times 360 days is a lot. <laughs> a lot. It's, it's you know, 173,880 days. So, that's a lot of time. But if you start the clock then, start the clock then, and you start it running with the 69 weeks of years, 69 sevens, you start the clock running in 444, Nissan, 444 BC, when the, when the decree was given. Remember the first month? Do you remember me talking about this in Ezra? When you start that and you take that and follow that through in the Jewish days of 360, not 365, you take this all the way and you end up at the point no one understand that from the going of the fourth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. That's that 69. You take all that from the point that the decree was given and it brings you all the way to the triumphal entry of Christ. Yeah. Tenth of Nisan on the day. Amazing. It's amazing. Turn to Luke 19. We'll look at that. You say this is a book written by men? Nonsense. Nonsense. It's a f- f- almost 500 year prophecy being fulfilled on the day by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when the Lord Jesus Christ came, he fulfilled, I think, I think it's over 300 prophecies, something like that, in his first coming, just his first coming alone. The odds of that are just astronomical. But. Get to Luke 19 and go to verse 28. It says, When he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. When it came to pass, when he was come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples. And then we know the story, don't we? Uh, he comes to the cult, verse 37. And when he was come nigh, even at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory on earth. This is the triumphal entry. The Lord comes down the Mount of Olives on the day 483 years later, or whatever it is, when the prophecy was given that when the decree from a heathen ruler, not a Jewish ruler, to send the people back under Ezra to rebuild the walls in the city, we get the Lord. He comes down the Mount of Olives. And I want you to notice what he says in verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Verse 42, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this day, the things which belong unto thy peace. What do I think he's talking about here? I think he's talking about the prophecy that was given all those years ago in Daniel chapter 9 when the Messiah would come. And he's saying, he's weeping over Jerusalem because the point is that they are rejecting him. 
And he says to them, In this day the things which belong unto thy peace, but they are hid from thine eyes. And even to this very day, the book of Daniel gives that prophecy right right to the T. That prophesies the Messiah is rejected by many Jews. They will not go near it. It's the forbidden book. They won't even call Daniel a prophet. Hi, the Lord says, you don't know that these things were for your peace, but they were hid from your eyes, and they're still hid from their eyes. One day, it won't be hid from their eyes when he comes again. They will see him, they will look upon him whom they have pierced, and they will weep. But Daniel's prophecy tells of the time when the Messiah would come and the Messiah would be cut off. And it's a wonderful thing. So that's the 69 weeks taken care of. The Messiah will be cut off. And again, he is cut off. He's rejected by his people. That's the cutting off. That's the cutting off. Then it talks about the city shall be destroyed. Daniel 9 verse 26. But not for himself. The people of the princess who comes will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And that's what happened, didn't it? After the Messiah was cut off. You move a little bit forward. AD 70. It's destroyed. Ruined. Besieged by Titus. 69 weeks complete. But there's a 70th week. Verse 27, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. In the midst of the week, he shall cause a sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And that's the period, the 70th week, the week that has not been fulfilled yet. Because what happens? They reject him. The church age comes in, not seen in the Old Testament. The church age comes in, it's been 2,000 years plus. But God is going to pick up. He hasn't finished with Israel. He stopped the clock at the end of the 69th week for Israel. He will pick up that clock for the 70th week for Israel during the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble. And now we get back to Revelation chapter number 6. Verse 1, And when I saw the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. What are we going to see? We're going to see God pick up with the 70th week of Daniel, and we're going to see the things that are in verse 27 there, all the way through the book of Revelation, where we're going to see the Antichrist come. We're going to see what happens there. This is the time of Jacob's trouble. Israel, the church is gone. These references take us back to Daniel. And he speaks about Israel and their time. It isn't us. We are gone. Praise God, we are out of there. But Israel is being dealt with by the Lord. And that's the fulfillment of Daniel 77. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for 